This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking tonight about. Um, we let's just go over very quickly. Why must the person go to work? Okay, so we had this discussion. The the Chovat Levavot asked the question: Why do people have to go to work? And he says two reasons that Hashem wants us to work hard to earn a living. Number one, because I thought Hashem decided to test a human being to see if a person will rebel against God or listen to God, serve God or rebel against Him. He devised a test. And the test is a person's struggle to provide for things that are not essential, such as food, drink, clothing, shelter, and supporting a family. He commanded a person to go after these things and obtain them in prescribed ways with specific restrictions and at special times according to the laws of the Torah. In other words, we have all the laws of the Shabbat and all the laws of Hagim. So the question is, is the person going to work on Shabbat? Is the person not going to work on Shabbat? Is the person going to keep Shabbat? Is the person going to keep the festivals? Is going to go to work? Not going to work. So there's no test of work. The person doesn't have to go to work. And you won't know what kind of person that person is. Will he keep Shabbat? Not keep Shabbat. Will he listen to God? Not listen to God. Will he keep all the laws of ethics and morality when it comes to business? Right? So, all, so one by one is a test. And the test is to see what, how much will the person grab. All right? Will he work just for the basic necessities or just keep on working for the excesses? How much will he work? That's number one. Number two is will he be honest work? Number three is will he keep uh, the other laws to do with work like Shabbat and Kashrut and things like that? So it's a test basically. That's number one. Number one is it's a test. So by making a free choice, a person earns reward keeping God's laws. Or a person breaks God's laws using his free choice, right? So free choice, a person can earn reward, a person can lose reward by free choice. So it's a test. How will a person work? And that test is a proof of whether a person really believes in Hashem and wants to keep the commandments or not. That's really the test. Number two, the second reason why must a person work? It's because if a person does not have to work, he get up to mischief. Leisure is the worst thing a person has. A person has lots of leisure time, they get into mischief, and therefore Hashem says, you know, I want to keep the guy busy. Everyone has to be busy. So busy learning Torah and busy working. Two things. And that's what we say in Pirkei Avot. Busy in two labels, labors, learning Torah and working. Right? Keeps a person away from sin. So those are very, very important for a person to be busy all the time. And that's why it's dangerous for a person to be on vacation. Right? Vacation is a time for mischief. People get into mischief on vacation, especially college vacations, right? Kids get into real big mischief in college vacations. So he says the second reason is a person must work hard is because if a person did not have to work his fingers to the bone, look at this, running after his daily bread. He would despise God and run after transgressions. Wow. A person who's wealthy, it's very dangerous. You know, if they don't have to go, go to work. Uh, you see all these kids, trust fund kids. They have nothing to do. A lot of them die early. 25 years old, they commit suicide. Why? Because they're busy satisfying their pleasures and it's never enough until they get depressed and they, that's it. So it's important to go to work. It's very, very important for a person to keep their, their minds busy. Interesting. There's a very famous Gemara in Kitubot that talks about a rich woman even has to find something to do. Even though she brings in, the woman has to work for her husband. But if she brings in servants and she has other people working for her, she doesn't have to work so hard. The Gemara says, hey, one second, that's very dangerous. I mean, you can't work, be idle all day. She has to do something. Interesting. Interesting Gemara. So it's very important to stay busy. It's very, very critical for a person's mental health to stay busy. It's also very important for a person's spiritual well-being to stay busy, to stay out of mischief. That's a very, very important idea, staying out of mischief. So two reasons to work. Number one is Hashem wants to see how a person will work. Would he be honest, not honest? Would he keep God's laws, keep Shabbat, keep the holidays? Or he won't keep God's laws. And by keeping God's laws, we use our free choice and we get reward. So it's very important to get reward. We have choices. Number two is without work, a person would rebel against Hashem. It's a very, very important idea.
The idea that a person has to get tired during the day to keep himself away from mischief at night is very important. And um, thank God for that. Thank God people get tired. Thank God people have to go to work. Otherwise, we would get mischief all 24 hours a day. Mischiefful, right? So it's very important to be busy. It's a very interesting idea. Because it's got to keep their mind busy all the time with positive things. If they don't fill it with positive things, as the Vulnakam says, the pit was empty and there's no water. What's inside it? Rashi says, snakes and scorpions. So Vilnagan says, if a mind is, of a person is not empty, if a mind of a person is not full of water, which is Torah, and other things, busy with good things, the mind would be full of garbage. So it's very important to keep our minds full. And that's what the uh, Torah says in Pekah Avot. By exerting oneself in both work and Torah, a person will keep away from sin. Now we come to a very important idea, which he tells us, it's a great bracha. Hashem's compassion is... For us to work hard. Hashem has compassion to us, keeping us busy all our lives, taking care of our needs in this world. <coughs> Two things we have to worry about. Taking care of our needs in this world and also preparing for the next world. We have two jobs in this world. Number one is caring for our needs in this world, right? Being healthy and earning a living for this world, honest living for this world, looking after our families in this world, but also preparing for a long re- retirement. People don't realize how long that retirement is, infinity. It's like a never-ending. Immortality. The soul doesn't stop. So a person has to prepare for retirement, a very long retirement. As Shlomo Amalek says, he has also put the needs of the world into their minds so that man cannot comprehend what God has done from beginning to end. Also, Shlomo Amalek is another reason. It is a person should be busy so that they, start, they don't start thinking about things they shouldn't be thinking about. Like what, what came before God and what came after God and then, no such thing. You know, a person shouldn't get into philosophical questions that ruin a person's belief system. If a person has too much time on their hands, they start thinking about philosophical issues and they start making mistakes in philosophical issues. Okay, so now we come to very critical ideas over here. I'm going to go through them one by one. Number one, if you cherish the service of Hashem, number one, to cherish the service of Hashem, a person has to love Abudat Hashem. A person has to love serving Hashem like Abraham Avinu, he was a real true servant of Hashem, Ebedah, who was the best servant of Hashem, Moshe Rabbeinu. In fact, Moshe Rabbeinu's biggest title was Avdi Moshe, my servant Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu loved being God's servant. It's amazing. So we think of a servant, we think, ah, who wants to be a servant? But to be a servant of Hashem is like the best, the highest medal you can get, highest level of honor you can get. So a person who cherishes the service of Hashem, number two, opts to fear Hashem, which is very hard to do, a person should always try and fear God in private as well as in public. When it comes to public, we act very nicely. When it comes to private, that's where a person really is. That's, that's where a person's Yerat Shemaim. How does a person know if they have Yerat Shemaim or not? What do they do when no one's around? What do they get up to when no one's around? If there's no difference between the private and the public, that's a good sign. Both, both ways. It can be for bad as well. We know that a robber at night is more guilty than a robber in the day. Right? In Jewish law. A robber who robs at night, how much do they have to pay? Well, Double. Kefir. A robber in the day has to pay? Once. Why is that? So the answer is a robber at night is scared of people but not scared of God. He robs at night, doesn't want people to see him. A robber in the day puts people and God on the same level. He's not punished as much. Amazing. So it's very important not to have fear. It's so hard to have fear of God. How does a person know they have fear of God? Things in private. Right? So one of, the, one of the laws of marital relations, right? Marital, all the laws of uh, Nida, it's really about Yerachamayim. It's really, no one knows what's going on. Nobody knows. And that's why the woman really is the Yerachamayim. It's all up to the woman. No one knows. The man doesn't know what she's up to. No one knows. She's the only one who knows. Kashrut in the house, for example. Or Yerachamayim. There's no mashkiach. Is it food? Kosher? No, of course, whoever does the cooking, whoever does the shopping, it's their responsibility. It's Yerachamayim. Right? So all these things are Yerachamayim. So number two, up to fear Hashem. Number three, which is what we're talking about, trust Hashem in your Torah and your worldly concerns. Number four, avoid shameful acts. All right, a person should avoid things they're going to be ashamed of. Number five, set sights on attaining good traits. Midot tovot. Number six, a person is not dis- disdainful of God when a person is comfortable. In other words, a person says, you know, I have so much money, I don't need Hashem. Hashem 
Hashem, I don't need Hashem's help. That was the danger of Bar Kokhba, right? Bar Kokhba says, Hashem, I'm so strong, you don't have to help me. Just don't help my enemies. Big mistake, terrible mistake. That's the stain of Hashem. That's a kind of, I don't need Hashem. I, Hashem, I, Hashem does, I don't need it. Number seven, very important. Don't choose leisure. A person should always try and stay busy. Number eight, a person is not swayed by the evil impulse. The Yetzirah cannot control a person. Well, that's a very high level, Madriga. Number nine, a person is not dazzled by all the new things in the world. All the modern technologies. I hate them, I have modern technologies. We have it. I mean, what he's talking about really applies to us. We're dazzled by things which are new. A person is not dazzled by the enchantments of the world. Then he says, Hashem will lift the burdens of going to work from us. In other words, there's a level by which Hashem says, I'm going to lift. You, you're too good to, to have the burden of work. So that's what the mission says, Prikavor, to say, But he says, not so simple. The Chavotah level is going to details. It's really nine levels. Person's going to get to nine levels. It's not just ex- accepting upon yourself the yoke of the Torah. It's not enough. It's got to be nine levels. One of them is cherishing Avodat Hashem, fearing Hashem, trusting Hashem, avoiding bad acts, attaining good traits, not disdaining Hashem when a person's comfortable. In other words, what's the use of him not going to work when he's going to say, yeah, I don't have to go to work. I don't need Hashem's help. So a person's going to get to the level where even if he has money, he's not going to, he's not going to come to saying, I don't need Hashem's help. Not to choose leisure, because a person says, ah, Hashem says, I'm going to take away the burden of earning a living. What's the person going to do? He's going to be on vacation all day. He's going, to be her- uh, he's going here and going there, traveling the world, right? He's going on world cruises. That's not what it's for. It's the Lord Torah. A person shouldn't be swayed by his evil impulse and not dazzled by the enchantments of the world. Otherwise, he's going to go and look into the world. He's not going to learn Torah. So really, all this is to be able to be free to learn Torah. That's what the Mishnah says, Prakia Avot. menu all if a person accepts upon themselves the yoke of the Torah, a person will get the yoke of earning a living off his back. Hashem will support him directly. And we find all the prophets. Right? Hashem made miracles for them to earn their living. Right? We find Elisha. Elisha, it says, went somewhere. Uh, as soon as he became a Navi, as soon as Elianavi goes away, he up, goes up to Shemaim, Elisha sees it, and Elisha goes, and now he's the teacher of all the other students. And the students are starving. And a guy comes with a loaf of bread. So he brings a few loaves of bread, and he's got 50 students. And the students say, what are we going to eat? He said, cut it up. Don't worry, there's going to be enough bread for everyone. And they cut it up, they cut it up, they cut it up. And people eat, and people eat, and people eat, and people eat, and there's still bread left over. That's a miracle Hashem did to satisfy the... So Hashem can provide. Eliyahu Navid says the ravens would come. Feed him from the sky, imagine. He says he ran away from the king and queen from Ahab and Isabel. Uh, so, you know, Eliyahu Navi was a Hara Carmel, right? Mount Carmel, which is a tremendous fire over there. It's amazing. A lot of fire over there in the, the bushes and the, the forests around that area on Hara Carmel. But Eliyahu Navi was there, and he made a spiritual duel with the prophets of Baal, the prophets of the idolatry. And he said, whoever can bring fire from heaven and burn a sacrifice will believe is the God. So the first goes the prophets of Baal, and they're, pry- they're crying and they're pleading all day, all morning, till the afternoon. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. And he comes and he builds an altar, 12 stones, 12 tribes. He makes a trough around the water. Pour, pour water, pour water, pour water around that. He's wetting everything. He's wetting the sacrifice. He's wetting the altar. Everything's full of water. And then he prays to Hashem. He says, Eliyahu Navi was answered at Mincha time. And that's why Mincha is a very special prayer. First, you should always be careful with Mincha because Eliyahu Navi is... Very special time to be answered. And then, then the Gemara says, also Shacharit, also Arvid. <laughs> but Mincha, it wants to tell us Mincha is very important. Why? Because Mincha is the most trampled on tefillah. Why is Mincha the most trampled on tefillah? Because that's when a person is very busy, especially in winter time. A person is in the middle of work, got to stop for Mincha. Most, a lot of people don't stop, they just forget. It's very hard to pray Mincha properly. Or if they pray, they pray very fast. Who's through Mincha? Because there's just no time, you've got to run back to work. So it's very hard tefillah. So that's what the Gemara says in Brachot, you've been careful with Tefillah Melchai, the Anavi answer. Anyway, Anavi runs away. He runs to the Negev, to the desert, and he says, Hashem, I don't live anymore. Forty days he doesn't eat and drink. Forty days he doesn't eat and drink, right? How did he not eat and drink forty days? Like Moshe Rabbeinu, same thing. Forty days he didn't eat and drink. And who supports Anavi? All of a sudden the ravens come. 
the ravens bring glut kosher food from the table of the king of Judah. He's getting very, very special food from it. Amazing. So if Hashem wants to support someone, Hashem can support someone. But normally it's good for a person to work. Why is it good for a person to work? Keeps them out of mischief, right? As we said, number one. Number two, it provides a test to see how they're going to behave. That's what the work is for. Two major reasons he said for work. One is to test, see how a person behaves. They're going to keep God's laws. They're going to keep God's laws. Number two is it's going to keep a person away from mischief. Keep staying busy. It's very, very important to keep us away from mischief. And then he talks about the next level, which is Hashem removes the burden of work from a person. Like the, as the mission says, but he gives a lot of different criteria to get to that level where a person is free from working. Amazing. Too much. A lot of criteria. Now we come to a very, very important phys- uh, uh, philosophical question, which has bothered the rabbis from early ages, and it bothers many people today. And that is the question of Tzadik Veralo. Why are righteous people suffering in this world? And why do seemingly wicked people prosper? That's the question, and there's a very, very important Chobat Levavot, which is quoted by many people. One of the, one of the famous sources uh, people quote to answer this question is Chobat Levavot. But first, let's do the Gemara. Because the Gemara asks this question in the Quran Brachot. On Daf, Daf Zayin, Amid Aluf. And the Gemara puts this question in the, in the words of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Rebona Shirolam, Master of the Universe. This is not explicit in the Torah. This is one of the oral laws we learn now. Moshe Rabbeinu asked the question. Why are the righteous people doing well? And why are the righteous people not doing well? How come there's some righteous people, everything's going well for them in this world, and some righteous people, nothing goes well for them in this world. And on the other hand, there are wicked people, things are going well, and there's evil people, things are going badly. Yeah. What's going on? There's a, mix, there's a mess up over here, right? You would expect righteous people, everything should go well, right? But you see righteous people, everything going well. And you have righteous people, not going well. You have wicked people, things are not going well, which we expect. But it's also wicked people, things are going well, which you don't expect. So what's going on over here? Hashem, tell us what's going on. So that was Moshe Rabbeinu's question to Hashem. So why do tragedies befall good people, while many wicked people enjoy lives of luxury? So can you imagine, Moshe Rabbeinu has an opportunity, which we don't have, to ask Hashem questions. Hashem is Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu has an opportunity, what question Moshe Rabbeinu asks, a major philosophical question, why do, good, why do the righteous uh, suffer, and why do, why do the wicked prosper? So according to Ramban, his country to Job, this issue goes to the very root of faith, to the foundation upon which the Torah rests. This enigma started many false philosophies, Ramban says. Why? Because people are so taken up with this question, they don't get a good answer. They just lose their faith in God. It's a very, very dangerous question. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the righteous suffer? And in fact, he says, the Ramban says, the whole book of Job was written to discuss this topic. Right? So the Gemara in Brachot, the Gemara in Brachot, uh, has uh, different sources for the book of Job. Some people say Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the book of Job. Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the book of Job. Specifically, there's a question, did Job ever exist even? Some people say Job. The Quran says. Some people say Job never existed. It's purely a philosophical work. Some people say Job did exist. The question is then when? And some people say he existed at the time of the spies. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu, when he talks to the spies, he tells the spies, see, im yesh im ayin. If there's a tree or there's no tree. What do you mean? You go to Israel, there's a tree. There's many trees in Israel. What do you mean? What? Is there a tree or not? Rashi says, is the tzaddik Job still there, alive to protect Canaan? And one tzaddik can protect this tree was the merit of Job, according to some opinions. That was, Job was there at that time. And the Midrash says, Job was one of the three advisors of Paro. Who are the three advisors? Bilam, Yitro, and Job. Job. So Bilam says, kill the Jews, and eventually he got killed. Pinchas kills him. Uh, Yitro said, save the Jews, what happened? His children are serving in the Beit HaMikdash. Levim and Kohanim. Why? Because one daughter married Elazar, the son of Aaron. <laughs> Go ahead. And one daughter married Moshe, judges and Levim. Amazing. So Yitro had a tremendous zechut. Some people say he himself converted. So he had tremendous zechut. His grandchildren are all working in the Beit HaMikdash and the Sanhedrin. And, uh, and the Eov kept quiet. So because he kept quiet, Hashem said, I'm going to make you scream now. 
you kept quiet when you should have talked, I'm going to give you so much suffering, you're going to scream. So that answers the question, why did you suffer? Of course, that midrash is beautiful, because now you know why you have suffered. He didn't suffer for nothing, even though he's a righteous person. He shouldn't have kept quiet. A person, sometimes a person's got to speak up. That's the trouble. Okay. So now we come to the, the Gemara's answer. The Gemara says, Tzadik betovlo. Hashem says to Moshe, a righteous person where things are going good, a righteous person from things are going good is a righteous person. Tzadik ben Tzadik. A righteous person, the son of a righteous person. Why are things going well? Because he has merit of the forefathers. He's righteous and his father's righteous. Why is a tzadik ralo? Why is a righteous person suffering? Because he is the righteous person, the son of a wicked person, which we have to understand. Because we know that in Jewish law, people are not punished for the sins of their fathers. So what? So he's a righteous person, the son of a, right, a wicked person. Why is he suffering? So the answer is because he's the son of a wicked, a wicked person, he still has bad midot. He may be a Balteshuva, but he has bad bidot because his father's evil. A wicked person whose father was a tzaddik may not do good deeds, but inside he's good. I know many people like that. They have such good hearts. They may not keep the Torah, but they have such good hearts. And you have people who keep the Torah and they have bad hearts. What's going on over here? Some people are very generous and they don't keep the Torah. Some people are very mean and they keep the Torah. What's going on over here? And the answer is, one is a descendant of a tzaddik and one is a descendant of a rasha. So the descendant of a tzaddik has good bidot, right? And the son of Rasha is Babido. That's why Abraham Abinu says, don't take from Canaan. Don't marry my daughter. Even though the Canaanim, some of the Canaanim were Tzadikim. His friends. Aner Eshkol Mamre. Tzadikim. But they were Canaanim, they had bad Bidot. So go back to my father's house. I know they have good Bidot, they have good hearts. Not all of them. You know, Laban didn't have a good heart. But uh, mostly. So anyway, it's an interesting idea. So... What, what is going on over here? What? So the Arizal comes on a very deep explanation. He said that Tzaddik, the son of a Tzaddik, is a person who is a Tzaddik in this world, and his previous, previous reincarnation was a Tzaddik. There's nothing to punish him for. A Tzaddik ben Rasha is a Tzaddik who was a previous reincarnation was a Rasha. So now in this world, even though he's reincarnated, now he's righteous, he's still getting payback for what he did previously. And a Rasha, the son of a Tzaddik, is prospering in this world. Why? Because his previous reincarnation was, he was righteous. Now he's evil. He's getting payback still for his previous reincarnation. Very hard to understand. And a Tzaddik bin Rasha, a Rasha bin Rasha, a person who was evil in the previous reincarnation and in this reincarnation. And that's why he's getting punished as well. Okay, that's one way of explaining it. The second, simplest way of explaining it, we're going to see what the, what the, what well, we didn't get to the Chorol Lord here. We're just trying to explain the Gemara. The simplest explanation is that a person, a righteous person, sometimes gets paid back in this world. Why? Hashem wants to give him pure pleasure in the next world, no punishment. And therefore, it's better for a person to get the kapara in this world and not get it in the next world. Even though sometimes we don't see it, because we see a person suffering, it's not nice. But it's better that a person suffers here than not suffer in the next world. Okay? So uh, we don't see that. And sometimes a rasha does good deeds in this world, and he's, so Hashem says, I'm going to pay you back in this world, nothing in the next world, though. So you see a, right, a wicked man prospering, must have done something good. Obviously, he did something good in this world. He's getting paid back for the good he did in this world, so he won't get anything in the next world. Whereas a righteous person suffers in this world, so he gets paid back in this world for the bad, but the next world gets good. So that's a very interesting concept. We see this concept with Rabbi Akiva. It says, Rabbi, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, we talked about last week in Al-Gamar Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, he says, I'm like a man of 70 years old, right? Remember from the Haggadah? Everyone remember the Haggadah? I'm like a man of 70 years old. It says, Rabbi Lazar Brazaria, who had everything good going for him. He was seven, 18 years old, he becomes a chief rabbi. He's very, very wealthy. He's very handsome. He has everything. He's a chief rabbi. He brains and everything. All his life, he was wealthy. Come on, so wealthy. It says he would give 100,000 sheep a year, ma'aser, which means he had 10 times that born every year. Hard to understand. He had a million sheep being born every year. So rich he was. Hard to imagine. Hard to imagine how rich this man was. He never worked a day in his life. He would learn Torah all day. And he became chief rabbi at the age of 18. So when he, was, when he was getting old, he started suffering. He was in pain, terrific pain. All the rabbis went to see him and they all cried. Akiva goes to see him, Rabbi Akiva goes to see him, and he starts laughing. <laughs> Akiva, the rabbi is suffering, why are you laughing? He said, all my life I was worried about him. He must have done some bad, but he never got punished. I thought maybe he's eating up Hashem's giving him reward in this world and he'll lose his next world. But now I see him suffering, I'm happy. Why? 
I see Hashem's going to pay him back in this world for what he did bad. It wasn't so much. A few years from. And in the next world, it's going to get pay him all the good. So you see, it's, contra- it's a contrarian view. We can't understand what's going on in this world. Only Hashem has a plan. We don't know. We see good things happen to bad people. We see bad things happen to good people. What's going on, Hashem? What's going on? We don't know. So that's, that's the reasons for it. And that result says we only see one clip of the movie. We only see what happened in this world. We don't see the previous reincarnations. There's other things going on. Why do children, young children die? This is the previous reincarnation. We don't know what's going on. Hashem says, you know, some people have to come back for eight days, ten days, twenty days, thirty days to fix. And that's it. Fix the soul. That's it. They have a small thing to fix. They have to come back to this world to fix it and then go. So, so we don't know what's going on. So anyway, so that's the Gemara over here in Brachor. So let's just move on. Uh, there's another explanation over here, the commentaries over here, that the righteous person who's the son of a wicked person, his, his framework of, of reference to life is different. In other words, a person who's the son of a righteous person, everything's gums a everything's good, everything's good, and the righteous person is meant to be happy. And have, hopefully righteous people, it goes together. Happiness goes to, with spirituality. So the father is a happy person because he's a righteous person, it rubs off on the son. So even though the son is evil, his mentality of being happy all the time is with him because he learned from his father. So that's why the wicked, the son of the righteous, is prospering. He's happy all the time. He has this instinct of being happy all the time. Whereas the tzaddik, the son of a rasha, he has the midot of everything's miserable and bad and this, that, that's it. So that's his life becomes miserable and bad. Even though, so he, even though he's wicked, he's suffering. So that's that's another reference over here of, of uh, a righteous person, the son of a wicked person, is uh, is suffers in this world. A wicked person, the son of a righteous person, is prospering in this world. And the mentality, the outlook on life, is different. Okay, now we come. I'm going to do the book. The book is now um, beliefs necessary for one to trust in God. And one of the beliefs is we have to understand this concept. Why it takes away from our trust in God. If you see righteous people suffering, that's why it's in this book. That's why in this section. If you see righteous people suffering, you say, where's, where's Hashem? It takes away from a person's trust in God. So he said, I'm going to answer these questions so people have more trust in God. These philosophical questions. Now, if you may ask, we may sometimes see righteous people who have to work very hard for a living. While many sinners live a life of ease, comfort and contentment, what about that? Rabbi, tell us. What's going on over here? The righteous people are suffering and the wicked people are enjoying. What's going on, Rabbi? Tell us. How do you expect us to trust in God when you see these dichotomies over here? He says, I will answer that the prophets and the pious people already asked this question. This is a very old question. This is not a new question. One of them asks, this is Prophet Yirmiyahu, chapter 12. Why do the wicked prosper? Another asked, this is Habakkuk. You know, it's interesting, Habakkuk. Who is Habakkuk? The Shunammit. Right? The Shunammit woman says, uh, came to Elisha. She, she had an attic for him. She made an attic for him, right? And she told her husband, this poor man of God, he has nowhere to stay. Let's make a room for him, especially in our house. And every time he passes this there, he can stay with us. We'll give him food, we'll give him a room, board and lodge. So Elisha is staying with this woman, can imagine. He's staying in this house. What should I mean? And one day he wants to know what does she need? When you take something from someone else, you always have to give back something. That's the way a righteous person takes. You take in order to give. So he asked, what does she need? Gehazi, find out what she needs. And Gehazi says, she does have a child. So Elisha blessed her that she should have a child. And she had a child the next, next, next year. Amazing. And she called the child Chabakuk which comes from the language Chibuk, embrace. That's, that Habakkuk became a prophet. And all these, uh, the, the, other, the other kid was uh, Yonah, with Eliyahu Navi, the child who died and came back to life, that's Yonah. This also, child died, and Elisha brought him back to life, it's Habakkuk, two prophets, one from Elisha, one from Yonah, from, from, Eli, from Eliyahu. Eliyahu Navi had Yonah, he blessed the woman with, with a child, that's Yonah, and Elisha blessed the woman with a child, is Habakkuk, two great prophets. So anyway, Habakkuk also asked the same question. Why do you allow me to see iniquity and you look at the evil deeds with robbery and justice before me? While the one, I have to deal with all the wicked people around me and all the bad things happen to me. And in the wicked people who carry strife and contention is enjoying life. Habakkuk asked this question about himself. 
my life is a more a life of trouble and sorrow and I'm a sadiq, and the other guy's life is a life of, of, of perfection and he's wicked. Why are you silent? When the wicked man swallows up the more righteous man, he has, Habakkuk is asking God, imagine. The wicked are ever tranquil, they amass wealth. So what's going on? And I am innocent. I know my heart is innocent. And I'm constantly afflicted and every morning brings new punishment. That's a big question. Amazing. So many prophets. The prophets left this question unanswered. Why you left it unanswered? That's the question. The reason for this is that the suffering of each righteous person is singular and no general rule can be made. Every individual is judged by God on their own level, and we don't know why. There's no general rule for every single person. This, this reason, one reason could apply to this person, one reason could apply to that person. Everyone has their own different reason why this occurs. There's no one reason to answer all these questions. So that's why the prophets never answered. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu says in Parashat Nitzavim, Hanitztarot la Hashem elokeinu. Hidden things belong to Hashem. <laughs> But the revealed things are for us. So things we can't understand, they're hidden, we can't understand them. Well, they're Hashem, Hashem will worry about them. Some questions we can't ask. Well, you can ask, but you don't expect an answer. Okay. So nevertheless, he says, I'm going to give answers. <laughs> Why am I going to give answers? Because if you leave people without answers, it's going to annoy their faith. Their faith is going to go. There's no answers. Rabbi has no answers. Judaism has no answer to this question. I don't believe. I see. Why? Everyone asks. Why the Holocaust? Why the Holocaust? Everyone ask the Holocaust. <coughs> but we believe despite it. We don't ask the question. We, just, we believe despite it. There's no escaping God. You can't escape God. Why is the Holocaust? Because evil people made Holocaust. Why did Hashem allow it? Because Hashem allows free will in this world. What can it do? Do we really know the answers? We don't know the answers. So this question also, the, the prophets didn't write answers to these questions. Nevertheless, Hohan Levot says, I will give some, I'll try and give some answers. I think it worthwhile for me to try to explain this problem, at least in a small way, to ease the mind of the troubled. Why? Because if you leave the people with this question, people are going to start thinking, I don't really trust God. Why? Look what's happening in this world. This world is upside down. Where is God in the world? There's no, there's no reward, no punishment. Okay. So he's going to give some answers over here. The answers, again, might not be the best answers, but... But it's, this is a very seminal work because he does give answers. And a lot of people quote this work. And there's, uh, there's a lot of different commentaries who do give, uh, go into those details. Yeah, let me just quote you a little bit of the art scroll commentary on the, on the Gemara, which he just did. Due to this, the importance of this topic... It has received the focused attention of many Rishonim and Achronim. Ramban, in his introduction to the book of Job, apparently holds the Gemara's answer above, distinguishing a completely righteous person and a partially righteous person, is not meant to be definitive word on the subject. He points out there have been impeccably righteous individuals who have nevertheless suffered. So obviously it's not to do with that the person is completely righteous, not completely righteous. Just like Eo. For those who would like to pursue it further, there follows a selection of sources. The book of Job and its commentaries, especially Ramban and Malbin. Rav Sadia Gaon, his book Emunot Vedeot. The Ramban Morin Devukhim. The Ramban Sharagmul, which is the book of, of reward. Kada Kemach. Menachem Rekanati to, to Breshit. Chovat Levovot Shabitachot. That's a very, very amazing storyline. Brings all the sources who discuss this topic of reward and punishment. Anyway, so one of them is right here. So, number one, why do the righteous suffer? Number one, a righteous person sometimes has to work very hard to earn a living and is put to a test because of a sin they committed earlier in life, which they must pay for now. In other words, we can't really figure out why, what it's for. Maybe earlier in a person's life, a person did something really big or small, and now Hashem is taking, punishing the person. Many years later, so. It's amazing how you can't really put together, two together. What happened over here? I was, I've been a tzaddik. Yeah, but you've been a tzaddik for two years. But what about before that? So now it's payback. So hopefully a person will not need this payback. We said there's ways of getting kapara. Because we get some early familiar, it's like the sleep deprivation. That's kapara. 
a person does a mitzvah, it's very hard to do. Because it's Shabbat, he walk, takes a long walk to shul, or should walk back in the rain, and there's kapara. There's many other kinds of kapara, which are good kapara, good atonement. But everyone gets punished eventually, so a tzaddik especially will get punished for things in this world. And that's number two. The righteous person has to suffer in this world so that they will receive an infinitely greater reward. In other words, the more a person gets suffering in this world, the more the reward in the next world. Even sometimes the suffering is not necessary. It's called Yisurin Shalava. Suffering of love. Very strange kind of idea. Words, Hashem sometimes wants to give a person more reward in the next world. How do I give them more reward? I'll make them suffer here in this world more than they deserve. As long as they have faith in God, they're getting more reward. Because why? Because even the, despite a person's suffering, they still have faith, they still have faith, they still have faith. That's the reward. They get reward for the faith. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's answer number two. That even though a person didn't do anything bad, the fact that suffering is giving them more reward in the next world. Number three. Sometimes he causes to suffer, to show the world the sadiq's patience and uncomplaining attitude in serving Hashem. And that's exactly what Hashem told Moshe when Moshe Abedi complained. Right? You made the things worse for these people. You told me I'm going to save the people from Egypt. I go to Egypt, I talk to Paro. And what does Paro do? He makes them even gather the straw for the bricks. And he makes them work even harder. Hashem, why do you do that? What does Hashem tell him? He said, your forefathers knew me. They knew me as a God of promises. And they never asked questions. And it was, I never fulfilled my... My promise is to the forefathers. I said, Abraham, you're going to inherit the land, and he has to buy the, the whole plot for his wife with a lot of money. Well, he inherited the land, he didn't inherit anything. I said, Abraham, your children are going to be many as the stars, you can barely have any children. So I promised them many things, and they never got, they never asked questions. And that's what happened. That's number two. Answer number, sorry, answer number three. Even though Tzadik gets uh, troubles in this world, it's a lesson to others. His patience and his uncomplaining attitude is setting an example for others. That's a very important idea, the idea that uh, when a tzaddik gets hurt, he has to try and absorb it without complaining. And that's, a, that's a, a moral lesson to the rest of the people around him. And that's the lesson of Abraham Avid. That's really Abraham Avid and Yitzhak and Yaakov. They got all these promises which never came true. And they never complained. Because they know eventually it will come true. Hashem's word is always going to come true. It doesn't have to come true straight away. It will come true eventually. But they never saw it. They never saw the blessings. Number four. Sometimes Hashem afflicts a righteous person because of the wickedness of their generation. Wow, kapara for the generation. Can you imagine? The whole generation is evil. Who gets the kapara? The righteous person gets kapara. Okay, that's, that's a, bit, it's a bit hard to absorb a little bit. Uh, it's very similar to where the Christians get it from. The same source. The suffering servant. Who is the suffering servant? The Jews. We are the suffering servant. People don't realize that. We are the suffering servant. And that's what Yeshayahu, that's what they quote. Chapter 53 of Yeshayahu. It's not talking about JC, it's talking about us. We are the suffering servant. In truth, it was our ills that he bore and our pains he carried. Who's he? The Jewish people. The Jewish people are the ones. We carry the burdens of the whole world. We suffer because of them. Number five. And this could be the reason why we suffer. Why could we suffer? Because we weren't zealous, zealous enough in protesting against the misdeeds of the generation. Boy, 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 that's so hard to do. Whole generation is doing evil. Who has to stand up and protest? All the Sadiqim have to stand up and say, hey, you guys are doing bad things. So we don't protest, we get it. Right, that's a hard one. That's a very hard one. We have to stand up. It's very hard to stand up in the middle of nowhere and protest because then you're not like anyone. So sometimes a person suffers because they were not zealous enough in taking up God's cause. They do not protest against the misdeeds of the people of the generation, as we learn from the case of Eli. Who is Eli? Eli was the rabbi of Shmuel and Navi. Eli was a high priest just before Shmuel and Navi, and Eli had sons who were not so great. It says Eli never rebuked his children, and because of that, he was punished. He died early, and he died a very tough death. He fell down, he broke his head, whatever. Anyway. And he shared in the son's guilt because he did not tell them off. Eli. So, tough one. So, same thing. A person doesn't rebuke the generation, doesn't give Musa to the generation, also is held in their, in their troubles. 
Okay, so that's five reasons why the righteous suffer. Again, let's, let's just recap quickly. Number one, number one is a test to atone for a sin the person may have done earlier in his life. Number two, in order to give the person more reward in the next world. Number three, to teach other people about patience and not questioning Hashem's judgment. So the righteous, the righteous man suffers, everyone sees, wow, he's suffering, he's saying, Baruch Dayanamit. <laughs> he's saying, blessing God for it. That's a lesson to everyone else. Number four, because of the wickedness of the generation, to atone for them. Number five, because he didn't protest against the generation. So there's five reasons why a righteous suffers. Now, why do the wicked prosper? Different answers. When Hashem is kind to the wicked, it may be because of one good deed that wicked person did, which Hashem is rewarding him in this world for. And that's what the Torah says in Devarim. He repays his enemies in their lifetime to make them perish in the world to come. So a person, a person gets their reward in this world. It's usually a person who wants their reward in this world gets their reward in this world. Like Esav. Esav says, give me the soup now. I don't I don't need the next world. In fact, that's the name Esav. Esav because the word Asui, which means ready-made. He was completely made, which means I want it now. I'm here and now. I want it. I want it now. Instant gratification. Esau was instant gratification. When the Yaakov comes to the word heal, which is the end. Uh, I'll, I'll sacrifice here and now for the end. It's Yaakov. I'm willing to sacrifice the soup, which is tangible pleasure, for a blessing, which is a bechorah, which is not even tangible. It's in the future. So that's the big difference. So a person who wants the here and now, Hashem says, oh, that's what you want? That's what you get. You know, it's interesting. We find that Mishnah says that there, are, there are mitzvot a person does which gives reward in this world and the next world. And they're mainly mitzvot of chesed, mitzvot of kindness. Suppose there's kindness to other people, the person gets reward in this world and the next world. Amazing, it's amazing, amazing concept. Chesed is really a good investment. Suppose there's kindness to other people. There's a book, and we, have a, we had it, I don't know where it is now, but it's called The Chesed Boomerang. Very, very beautiful book by Aiki Dweck. Highly recommend it. Um, he has a theory and he gives stories to prove the theory is whenever you do kindness it always comes back to you somehow I'll tell you just one story from the book it's a very beautiful story uh, it's a true story that one day the, the guy's in New York and he parks his car and he sees a guy giving a, a ticket to the car in front of him because his, his, his parking uh, meter ran out so he goes quickly he says hey hey stop he puts money in the parking meter so that the other guy won't get a ticket wow Unheard of. Unheard of. New York City, unheard of, right? But he did it. And later on, he finds out he was a friend of his car. You see, he looks at the car and says, hey, that car, I know that car, that's my friend. So first he did it, and then he realizes he's a friend of the car. So, okay. He doesn't think anything of it. So now next, one, one day he's driving on the Verrazano Bridge, comes to the tolls, and he can't find his money. He left his wallet behind him. In those days, no easy pass. You don't have money, you're stuck. You get it till late. They put you to the side, take your name, take your address. I don't know what happens over there. It's a whole big rigmarole. Um, so he had no money. All of a sudden, he has the car behind him. It's honking. He, he, Come here. Take the money. Take cash. Yeah. He finds it's the same friend. He put the money in the, in the, in the meter. Is now paying his toll. Same guy. Miracle. It's a miracle. Miracle. <laughs> he said, Chesed always comes back to you. There's another story. It's a beautiful story. It's also in the book uh, Visions, Visions of Greatness. I highly recommend another book called Visions of Greatness. I think there's four or five volumes. I don't know how many volumes there are now. There are like four or five volumes. All great stories. It says one day one guy was stuck in a hotel. He was Shabbat. He had nowhere to go. He was stuck in a hotel. He was stranded really. He said, what am I going to eat? He opens the fridge. Finds it full of black kosher food. Sealed. Fully sealed. Double wrapped. Black kosher food. Everything's there in the fridge. He said, where did he get it? How did he get there? But nobody knows the food is there for him. So he eats the food. <laughs> Who else is going to eat the food? He eats the food. So he goes home and tells the story. And the guy next door is laughing. He says, huh? So what happened? He says, that's our food. We were in the hotel. We got called back for an emergency over here. And we left all the food behind. Hashem is amazing. A person does kindness, it always comes back. So that's called the Chesed Boomerang. Hopefully that, that book will also show up like a boomerang. <laughs> okay. So, number one, why do the wicked prosper? Because maybe one good deed they did. One good deed they did, 
You're getting repaid for in this world. Amazing, amazing concept. Hashem pays back every single thing a person does. A person gets paid back. If they want to be paid back in the next world, it's better. Because you should say, you know, Hashem, I don't, I don't want to get payment on my good deeds in this world. I don't want to get payment on my good deeds in the next world. The truth is, anyone who works hard and is not enjoying life is not really getting payment of, the, of their good deeds. You can see. You have to go to work. That's good. That's a good sign. Because if everything's going well and everything's dandy, uh, what was the case? Rafsadia Gaon. Have you heard the story of Rafsadia Gaon? Rafsadia Gaon, it says, his luck was on the ascendancy. Everything went well. Everything was going so well. So one day he says, he became very wealthy. Rafsadia Gaon. So one day it was Pesach time, before Pesach, and he sends his servant to go and dip the dishes in the, in the water. And he had these beautiful gold dishes. Gold. So the servant goes, and he lost two dishes. Two dishes fell into the water. He couldn't pick them up. It was in the river. So he goes back. He goes, didn't tell him. Didn't say a word. Rafsadia going so rich. He didn't miss them. The next year, he goes to the river, and he's dipping more vessels for the Rafsadia going, and these two gold vessels come out of the water. They suddenly appear in the water, he pulls them out. Boy, he said, this is a miracle. It's impossible. The heavy gold dishes suddenly pop out of the water. So he goes to, his, to the rabbi. He says, Rabbi, it's amazing. You know, last year, I've got to admit to you, I lost two. Don't get angry. Don't get angry. No, don't get angry. I lost two gold dishes in the river. But this year, when I went to dip the other vessels, these two gold dishes popped out of the river. It's amazing. It's a miracle. Rav Sadi gone and started crying. He says, because in life, it's like a cycle. When your mazal is too good, you probably reach the top of the cycle. From that time on, it's going down. Now, then, then he started getting down. He lost, started losing everything. Keeps on losing, 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 losing. Till eventually he's in bed, very, very sick. And they call the doctor, and the doctor comes and says, There's no hope for this guy. It's finished. Then he started laughing. Ha 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 ha. That's it. I'm at the bottom of the cycle now. I'm going to go back up. Amazing how this concept of it's all a cycle of life. But it's not good that everything goes well for a person because it seems like, that's what Rabbi Kiva said about Rabbi Elsa ben Azariah, that what happens, everything goes well. Can you imagine? Every time a person puts a pocket, his hand in his pocket, he takes out exactly what he needs. That's a bad sign. Every time he opens the book, he opens it to exactly the right page. It's too good to be true. He's getting payback for what is good in this world. Everything, if his life is running well, all so well, like clockwork, there's got to be some cup around this world. There's no such thing as a person who never did anything bad. So it's good. A person, you know, the story is uh, Rabbi uh, uh, Tversky. Rabbi Tversky was at the Kotel. And he sees a guy over there crying and crying. He says, why are you crying? He says, my wife is very sick. Cancer. What am I not? And he says, Rabbi, I want to give you a blessing. So yeah, okay. What's the bracha? And you have many small troubles. He said, what kind of bracha is that? He says, you don't understand. May it not be one big one. May it be small, manageable troubles. So like a person say, you know what, I hate stop signs. I hate, st- I hate waiting in red- traffic lights. Whenever I, I drive in Highland Park, it's a big kapara for me. Because you can't go through Highland Park without a traffic light. I think I've been through it once in 26 years. We drive through Raritan Avenue with no traffic light. I hate traffic lights because it's such a waste of time. You're stuck over there. I can drive for miles with no traffic lights. I can come to Thailand Park, or one after the one, or one, one, one. Terrific kapara. So for me, it's kapara. Person should say it's kapara. It's good. Kapara is good because if the person did something wrong, it's kapara. So small things, many small things, and not one big thing. You put your hand in your pocket, take out a nickel, you take out a dime. It's a kapara. You've got to put your hand back in, it's trouble. Many small troubles like that, no one big trouble. You gotta change a tire, you gotta this, small things, only small things. Many small things, not one big thing. So when Hashem is kind to a wicked, maybe because of a good deed, one good deed the wicked person did, it's getting paid back for. Number two, sometimes good fortune is bestowed upon a wicked person in the form of trust. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is the worst. Until eventually a, a rich, righteous man will inherit him. So this, in other words, the rich man, the poor, the, the wicked man's getting rich, 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 in order to save it, in order for a rich, for for a righteous person to get it. Amazing. So, for example, when the Canaanites were building up the land of Israel for us, they didn't realize it. Yeshua goes in, the fields are sown, the houses are full of furniture, everything's there. They did it for us. 
They didn't realize it. That's what Kairat says. To the sinner, he has given the urge to gather and amass that he may give it over to one who is pleasing for Hashem. So sometimes they're, they're given the money to look after for someone else who's righteous to get it. Number three, the wicked man's riches may not be a benefit at all. It may cause the person's downfall and actually kill him. That's terrible. The person's got, full of money and then someone kills him for the money. So the money causes his pain. That's what Shlomo Melech says. There's a sickening evil, Shlomo Melech says in Koilet, which I've seen under the sun, riches hoarded by their owner to their misfortune. Wait, wait, wait. It's so common. You see today, uh, Iran, they just arrested a billionaire. I know he made a billions. They arrested him and they're going to kill him now. Russia, same thing, happens many times over. All these billionaires, they make so much money and the, and the, the president gets jealous of them and off with their heads, they take all the money away. The state takes their money. It's very, very common in third world countries. They're so jealous of their wealth that they, they kill them and they take the money. It may also be Hashem and gave the person wealth to be used when the person repents. Wow, that's ideal. Can you imagine? The, the Rasha is rich. Why? Hashem says, I know he's going to do, he's going to do teshuva. The money will be good for him when he does teshuva. And that's why we have Melech Menashe. Menashe was an evil king. Terrible story. He was an evil king. He, lived the, he was the longest reigning king. This man reigned for 50 years. David Amalek was 40 years. He was 50 years. He was a king. And he was evil for many years. What happened was the Assyrians catch him and they take him to Assyria. He's still evil. They put him in a pot. This is wild. They put him in a pot on the fire. Imagine. Boiling pot. Put a pot on the fire and he's inside the pot. He's crying out to all the idols. Hey, save me, save me, save me, save me. And then the Quran says, you remember the pasuk his father taught him? Yeah, Menashe. Hizkiyahu uh, Amalek was his father. Told him a pasuk. It'll be trouble for you and you will find Hashem. You will return to Hashem. So, I remember that pasuk my father taught me when I was a kid. All of a sudden I remembered it. I was repent. He did the shuvah, and they took him out of the pot, and they sent him back to Yerushalayim. Miracle. He became king again, but this time he's a good king. So all You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.